I'm Robin Crane, and this is the Growing Your Financial Business, The Woman's Way podcast. Listen, I was a financial advisor for over a decade, and I got so sick of the old archaic strategies that your grandpa used to get clients. What the industry teaches today is still so outdated and just doesn't work anymore. So I had to find a better way for myself, and then I got obsessed with sharing these how-tos with other women like me. The stuff I teach doesn't require giving up your life, your sanity, or your family time. I want women like you to have it easier than I had it, so you can thrive in the industry. I've now helped thousands of women grow their financial businesses to multiple six figures, some even seven figures per year. So on this podcast, you're going to get an inside look at how they did it so you can do it too. Let's dive into the show. Welcome back. I'm very excited to bring you some other podcast hosts, and we are turning the table on them because now they're being interviewed. Um, But these two are the co-hosts of the Framework podcast. They also um, lead the Carson Coaching. They do the uh, advisor content and strategy for Carson Coaching. So if you haven't listened to our second episode, way back to the second episode, you can see um, and listen to Ron Carson back then and put two and two together because he is an awesome guy, super cool dude. Uh, and I really enjoyed interviewing him and he was the second one we had on the podcast. So I'm here with Jamie Hopkins and Ana Trujillo-Limon. And uh, so tell us a little about kind of how you even got into this before we get into, I, we were going to actually talk about like what's changed in the industry, which I think everybody's going to be at the edge of their seats for, but tell us your background. So they know that they should trust you. Jamie, you want to go first? All right. I'll go first. Yeah. You can call on us. That's good. It's, uh, <laughs> uh, so, we, didn't, we didn't figure out like hand, you know, yeah, hand, hand notions and, hand you know, point out and all those fun things. Yeah. So baseball. Yeah. I tell my my kids, we do the listening ears now. You turn them on and that's good. good, I might steal that one. That's a good one. Well, I'll try to go fast. Uh, You know, my background, uh, I was an attorney by trade and I started off uh, in the private equity side of the world. So, you know, a bit different than the financial services industry, but still kind of loosely tied to it. I got to clerk in the appellate division, uh, which kind of changed a little bit of my course. I worked on one of Bernie Madoff's cases, uh, ran my own estate planning and consulting firm on retirement income planning for a while, and then taught for about seven years at American College. So I spent a lot of time teaching advisors and insurance professionals, retirement income planning. And then I've been at Carson for about five years. And uh, it's been a fun ride here. I mean, we've gone from, I think, about $6 billion under management when we showed up uh, to we're about $28.2 billion as of last week. Um, wow. So it's in kind of a five-year time period. So you mentioned, uh, Ron, before, uh, you know, has built uh, something that's been able to scale really fast and add advisors and serve a lot of clients. So that's been fun. And then, uh, you know, Anna, you can uh, go and maybe tell a little bit of your story and how you got how you got uh, hooked up here at Carson with me too and swindled into a podcast. (laughs) Swindled, I like that word. Um, No, so I'm a a journalist by trade. I was a a daily reporter for several years before I became an editor in the outdoor space. And there were layoffs at at my company that it had acquired a bunch of titles and then laid a bunch of people off. So I was very blessed to experience that because it ended up being one of the best things that ever happened to me. I didn't know anything about this industry and I found a job at the Financial Planning Association on Indeed.com. <laughs> so oh, wow. I didn't know anybody. I interviewed with Carly Shulaka. She's now at Schwab, but we just like connected immediately. And, you know, she was an ultra marathoner and she's just like super smart, really kind and, and willing to share her knowledge and her resources with me. So she kind of brought me into the industry and cultivated my career and 
is to set me free. And, and then I worked with Jamie at the Journal of Financial Planning for several years. He was uh, both a writer and a peer reviewer for our academic research at that point. And so he had a job opening and he's like, hey, why don't you consider coming to Carson? And so it's kind of evolved from there. I was, you know, just ghostwriting for a while and then came onto the podcast, which is totally outside my comfort zone, but I've, I've come to enjoy it a lot. So that's kind and of my origin story. Me, did you guys like volunteer for that or they, it sounded like you got volunteered for it, but who, who, whose <laughs> idea was the podcast? And then how did that evolve? I'm so curious. Uh, well, I go back to that. So Judd Mackerel, who's a good friend of mine, was our CMO at the time. If you've ever met Judd, Robin, he, he's an idea person. Um, how long he sticks with that idea, though, is a different thing. So I had a I, I was fine doing a podcast, but would, I like had some parameters around what I wanted to do and like what I wanted the show to be like. Well, the show's nothing like that now. And Judd picked the name framework. And that was our compromise. I had a different name. And it was a little bit more like risque name, and uh, it, but uh, it was called Reason for Treason um, was the show that I wanted to do. And Judd was super opposed to that. And he's like, I want framework, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, well, if you do framework, then you have to be on the show with me. He made it two episodes. So there are two episodes of framework with Judd Mackerel, um, uh, Tyrone Ross and Wade Fowl. And then he didn't show up for the next two episodes and never showed up again. I mean, stopped inviting him after he mixed the next two. And so I think I ran the show as the host for about a year, Anna, um, before then. I said, hey, uh, it was pretty quickly after Anna had got to Carson, maybe within a month or two, I said, well, why don't you come on an episode? And then like, you know, after like one episode, I was like, you're going to be co-host. <laughs> She's like, what? like okay, I guess yeah. that's what we're doing now. So tell me, we were going to talk about like what's really changed in the industry. So what have you noticed? I mean, obviously a lot has changed since 2020 and, and the whole, um, you know, COVID debacle. Um, but what have you guys seen and what have you noticed that has really changed and that people need to be aware of so they can really continue to grow their business? So I think I, I'm... I'm about nine years into the industry. And just in that short time, I've noticed a lot of, um, you know, movement towards people caring about having cultural competencies and reaching different communities in a culturally competent way um, and, and genuinely caring about like expanding the reach and the scale of what they're trying to do. And we're seeing a lot more. You know, we just interviewed um, Anna and Jay Conte and Keith Beverly, and they just merged their firms to form um, Re-Envision Wealth. And it was previously Grid 202 Partners and Dare to Dream Planning. And so just like this movement towards serving communities of color in a more meaningful way and meeting people where they are versus just focusing on the ultra high net worth clients, I think is a very meaningful change in the industry that I'm happy to see. Um, yeah. So that's one of the bigger changes I've noticed in my time. Awesome. Awesome. And what can, what would you say advisors can do or how can that benefit their practice if they had more inclusion and diversity? Yeah, I think there's a misconception that communities of color don't have resources to become clients. You know, I think when that's not true, like just in the Latino community alone, like if, you know, our economic output, our GDP would be like the fifth largest country in the world if we were to be counted alone as a, as a country. Um, and we have the resources. It's just you know, being able to be culturally competent and serve different communities will just, it will just increase your bottom line. Like I, I'm, I'm really tired of the business case for, for, you know, humanity. I'm really tired of that. But at the same time, like that's really what speaks to people is the numbers and 
the potential impact on on your revenues and things like that. So I it, it is just a, a good move for your business. Right. I love that though, because I, I think most people are focused on the, the, just, it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the right thing to do. And I think, you know, with, we talk a lot about women and now that we're not just working with women, it's all, it really is more about minorities and inclusion as a whole, and not just having the standard white male. And um, I was just talking to this woman who's going to bring me to speak at Barron's 100. And she's like, just to let you know, one of the reasons we're bringing you is because you're very different and everybody's going to be a little bit skeptical because they kind of think they, they, they know, maybe I shouldn't be saying this. I don't know, but, um, but there's the, it's just the standard top 100, you know, white dudes that have been running this industry for decades. And I told her, I was like, one of the big things I want is one of the reasons I want to speak there is because I want to have a real paradigm shift. I want, I want there to be a paradigm shift. I want to have I want to have a say in what happens. And I don't think like we, where we are today, like the, the world is okay with it just being, you know, white male, like, of course not. Like we need the change. And so in order to have that change, we need to push the envelope and do things differently and actually, you know, not just assume that, Oh, we'll just go with, you know, uh, the only people who are rich are white males. The only people that really do anything are white. Like, obviously that's not true. I don't know that it ever was, but it's like, there's definitely that perception. So I think for the way the industry needs and the end user, like the clients of the experience, like it can't just be the fact finder and like talk at you and like, only let me talk to the the man in the room to, to make the decisions. Like women need to feel heard. Minorities need to feel heard. And, you know, if they're not, they're just going to go somewhere else. So it will help the bottom line, but it's also the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Jamie, what's your take on that? Yeah, well, people are going elsewhere, right? Uh, the number is not as bad as that old study used to suggest. But, you know, when when one spouse dies and the male spouse dies, the female spouse usually leaves the advisor, right? Or at a high percentage of time leaves the advisor. Uh, the other interesting thing is, you know, by the way, is it 2050 to 2055, if demographics continue to move in the way they are, we'll experience that first time in, you know, America in the at least in the last 150 years, right? Where um, you know, kind of white America will no longer be the majority of the country. Now, they'll still be the largest demographic, but they won't be majority anymore. And so that's not super far away anymore. And then I think the other point you made is like that demographic shift, which I know you talk about on the show is like the next wealth transfer is between men and women, not between generations. And so you actually have kind of a lot of interesting factors going on there. And then you also have an aging population, which I was reading some of the Pew Research data just two weeks ago, and that Americans mostly believe that the aging population is a really bad thing for the country. And one area that you see that maybe more like dominant than almost any other industry, not the worst, I can think of one worse, but like financial services is an aging industry. Like we're having, we're getting older and we have not gotten as diverse as fast as the rest of the country has. And, um, you know, even just from just simply put men and women, right, we still hover around 20 percent, which is where it was in the late 90s. Like it hasn't moved but like two or three percentage points in 20, 30 years. So I, I sometimes get kind of Dr. Doomish when I go down that road, because you look at uh, CFP boards, they put out the diversity of their uh, new classes each year. And I think last year's right. They'd had the title, like the most diverse class ever and the most diverse class ever included like 19% women and like still like 67% white male or something like that. Right. Um, and you kind of look at that and you're like, well, the problem with that 
is not that it's the current, it's not that like it's gotten better, it's not getting fast, better fast enough. The problem is that that's essentially like the leadership of this industry in 30 years. Like that's the new group of people that just came in. And so that's the part that gets super depressing for me because when we talk about how fast something moves, the current group of young individuals coming in, like that's the breakdown of that that mm-hmm. class. It doesn't look like the rest of the country, but wealth is starting to get dispersed more. You know, 2021 was the greatest rise of wealth in the history of the United States, right? We saw more wealth across more different demographics. I think almost every demographic of the country saw their wealth grow in 2021. But the industry hasn't, you know, kind of found their way there. And so I think that's a challenge. So one of the things that like we talk about a lot is like growing your own talent. So if you're a woman firm, like you're going to have to bring people in. Like we can't just hope we can hire them from somebody else. And like communities have to grow their own talent. Like we got to look around and say, you know, I'm going to go serve my community. Um, And that's how a lot of, you know, industries have developed over time is you look around, say there isn't something here that's needed. So I will fill that gap as, you know, the government's not filling it and the industry is not currently filling it. So there's a lot of opportunity at the same time to come in this profession and really be successful over the next, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. And I think like along those lines, like that will allow you to stand out. Like if you're going to try to be in that same, you know, follow the same traditional thing, get the same white males and all that, like, sorry, as someone's coming in my office, um, is it's still going to get you the same result. Right. But if you want to stand out, like, I, I really do think there is that, like Anna said, like there's that value add of like, you know, we, we are not just talking to one, one, you know, demographic and to really be a home and a culture, cultural place for people to go where, um, it's different. And I think there's a lot that goes with that too. That's not just, you know, who you bring on as talent and who you even attract as clients, but like how you can, the process that you have as far as the acquisition of clients and then even the um, like uh, onboarding and like the whole development of that relationship that is so meaningful, like beyond the, just the one thing. I think it's like, it's kind of like the domino effect. Like you move one thing, you'll move everything, which is what I think is needed in the industry. What else have you noticed that has has changed maybe for the better or the worse or what people or what advisors need to adapt to because of it. We'll give this to you, Jamie, first. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go a little bit bigger picture industry and like kind of the the magic ball prediction world is when I look out in the future right now, I see a lot of the services that we offer today. Um, I don't always love the term, but like the commoditization or just like they're all getting closer together. I actually think like the distinguished nature of services or products, investment strategies, technology, the overall advisor experience. I I think there's big gaps today, but I think over the next five years, those are going to come like kind of screeching in together. They look like everybody's got a risk profile tool. There was a period of time that like, if you had risk allies, like that was a differentiating factor, right? Like you had something other people didn't have, or you had a better financial planning tool. That's kind of going away. And I think that the investment management world that's being condensed down products, product availability is being condensed down technologies, opening that up more and more. But I think that whole advisor offering from like differentiated offerings is going to get condensed down a lot. 
So then the future is less so about that. Um, it becomes about convenience, I think, to the point that we just talked about, like, do you resonate and connect with your clients? Because there's this human element that's not going to be fully replaced. So people are looking for, I mean, it's one of the top three things that people say they're looking for is they want somebody they can talk to, right, in the relationship. Like, that's, I think, like, number item number two in how you pick an advisor is, like, can you talk to them? Uh, like, that's pretty important. So how relatable you are. And then I think for the industry, it's, you know, how do you bring clients and in and keep them? I mean, hiring people or getting clients is one thing, keeping talent and people is another thing, which I know both of you just kind of said in your uh, comments too. But I see that as like the big survival aspect of the industry is like, how do you grow your business um, in the future? I think it's going to be the very differentiated, more competitive space than it is today. I think most firms don't feel super competitive today, still to some degree. Like there's lots of people that need help out there. I think there's lots of ways, you know, from podcasts and digital ads and everything to get in front of people and your COIs and referrals. Um, I think that's going to be the really big, like next disruption areas. People are going to start solving some of that better. And that's going to get much more competitive than it is today. Awesome. Anna, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I think that I'll, I'll drill down a little bit, you know, more specific, in more specific areas than the, the bigger picture Jamie just p- painted. But I think there's a disconnect in the broader finance industry um, about what our, our little niche industry does, right? Like I have, um, we worked on a financial literacy camp last summer with, uh, with a team from this company called Mini Money and their financial literacy company. And, and like the idea is that they, oh, let's do this you know, budgeting 101 and let's do, and it was all very financial coaching, financial planning. And like, people do that. Like we, you're, you don't need to reinvent the wheel here. Like you just need to connect with the people who already know how to do that. So I think building those partnerships in the broader finance industry is really critical to kind of bringing visibility to the differences in what we do and what it means. And I think building the pipeline earlier, I think we focus a lot on like college students or maybe even I don't know if a lot of people go deeper to high school seniors, but like we're building the pipeline too late, in my opinion. I think a lot of professions are in there with elementary school age children, middle school age children, you know, sharing their stories about what they do and and sharing the knowledge about their industry. Like when you ask young, you know, little young kids, what what do they want to be when they grow up? You never hear, rarely hear them say, I want to be a financial (laughs) planner, financial advisor, you know, and and I think that's because we're not, as an industry, making those inroads into schools and into those types of areas where we can start to build that pipeline a lot earlier. Because like Jamie said, Dr. Doom said, um, you know, we're kind of coming up where we're not building that pipe. That pipeline is not bringing folks in. And then to that point, that that goes into another point. When we do bring them in, what are we bringing them into? You know, it's like we're bringing in women and underrepresented professionals. And we have a lot of leaders who maybe have not had inclusive leadership training or, you know, do things that drive them away. And then so like there, there are those three elements, right? The broader finance industry, making that connection, building the pipeline earlier, and then training middle managers and leader leaders to be inclusive and have inclusive practices. So they're not driving the small pipeline that we do have away. So are you saying like, we just don't have enough advisors, period? Like we're just not like, we're not bringing enough advisors. And so 
tell me more about that because I'm I'm thinking like, well, it seems like you throw a rock and you hit an advisor, right? And I always feel like when advisors come to me, the, the second part you said about like, what do we do once we get them in is usually where I focus because I feel like there is a tension. Maybe you said it, like you said, it's too late, but there is a tension on recruiting. Like, oh, let's bring, let's, let's educate people. Oh, become a financial advisor. But it is late, like you said, but then they come in and then, and then we get them in, especially women. And then they're in this male dominated industry with really crappy tools as far as how to get clients and how to, um, attract clients and how to sell in a way that's not salesy and all this stuff. And then there, it's like the reason the, the I think the, that we haven't really moved the needle is because they're, it's a revolving door. They're in and out as fast as they come in. And so we're not keeping them in here. But I didn't really actually, until you said that, I didn't think that there was a, a lack of financial advisors, maybe a lack of diversity, but is it, are you guys saying that like, really, we just don't even have enough? I think it's a longevity issue, just like you said, like that revolving door, right? Like keeping people, I think Jamie talks a lot about process, having process behind your people. And that that whole element of, you know, support and mentorship and career pathing is really important to young professionals to know where they're going, what they're doing. And, and as a firm, to deliver what you say you're going to deliver. Like, hey, I'm bringing you on here to do X, Y, and Z. And then you have them do ABC. And they're like, hey, wait a minute. That's not why I came here. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's a problem. And it's I'm hearing from a lot of young professionals. Like, it's very frustrating to them. It's like, I did not sign up for this. I wanted to be an advisor. That's the, the path I wanted to take. And then they end up going someplace else into a different industry leaving right. that revolving door. Because they're usually put in some admin position or take care of the C clients. Yeah, I hear that a lot. Or I hear it's like these empty promises. I mean, you guys are at a higher level, but a lot of the people that I, you know, talk to me, that's like, oh, we were promised a hundred thousand dollars in the first year. And the, how, what percentage of people in the, their first year as an advisor, if they don't have a salary, <laughs> they're actually making a hundred grand the first year. So I think a lot of what you're saying is true is that like, you're told one thing, but then it's not backed up by the actual, you know, reality of it. Jamie, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, that's a, a, there's probably four or five really, I mean, this is a great conversation. Um, one I would say is, I feel like there's not enough advisors in general. Um, so we have fewer advisors today than we did 30 years ago. I mean, there's not fewer people, there's not less money, there's not less complexity. Now, technology has gotten better, but I don't I don't think that we've been, we haven't replaced advisors at the rate we've lost them. So I do think that, but I don't see that trend changing. And I tell people this all the time, and it's the honest point is we actually are so far behind at getting people excited for this that like a sexier podcast on how to come into the industry or a better CFP ad is not going to change the fundamentals that like eight year olds don't write down that they want to be financial planners like they don't. Uh And part of that, though, is industry. It's also like cultural inside of our houses. Um, And so this is, you know, it's kind of me interpolating some data. So I'm going to take some liberties here. But there was a research uh, project that was written up, I think, in uh, I I don't remember, which I think of maybe Kansas or something uh, where it came out of one of the schools. And what it showed was that men and women in college right? That women had gotten to that point not too long ago where they were outscoring men in their test scores, right? On average in our country, right? Like better math, better science, better um, linguistic scores than males. However, when you tested freshmen and sophomore uh, women against men, that they were actually way less financially literate than they were their male counterparts, despite the fact of outperforming them in basically every national testing thing. And now the reality is that's not an issue from school because schools didn't like teach those two things. Right. Those were taught by their families and families then went and, you know, 
not always like on purpose, but said, Hey, look, I'm going to teach my son more about finance Mm -hmm. than I'm going to my daughter. I'm going to include them in more of the family decisions about money and conversations than I am going to my daughter. And you can actually take that one step further as if households have two boys, they save more money for college than if they have two girls, regardless of their income factors. Um, So it's a really interesting thing, this notion of like males and money in our households, we treat them very differently. So that's something to me that is super hard. Like we can't change that with like a better messaging thing. That is like a cultural issue that we have that then leads itself all the way through college and the career picking, you know, aspect of this. Um, But then the other one is true. If you look at universities, um, if you go to the college CFP programs and financial planning programs, Uh, they have pretty good male to female um, ratios. But then you look at the classes two to five years into this profession, they do not have good ratios. Mm -hmm. So the schools don't really know what's happening either because we're like Anna and I are both friends with a lot of the professors at these programs, but they're not going into the advisor facing roles, right? Like they're disappearing somewhere else out of the industry into non, you know, non-client facing financial services in general is about 50, 50 male to female um, as an industry advisor facing though is 80, 20. So Mm -hmm. we are getting this kind of bifurcation there of like, you know, I shouldn't be an advisor or that's not welcoming me to be an advisor or there isn't training and support to be an advisor. I think it's all of those actually, Um, you know, and there isn't somebody I go to a firm, there's four male partners and there's no woman here to look up to and be mentored by. So I leave, I go do something else. Um, Those are all issues that are kind of occurring out there. I think also with like kind of comparative with the cultural ideas as well is that it doesn't, like, I know for me, when I came in the industry, maybe it was 2006. So like one of the thoughts I had in my head, and I don't know if it's my, my family or just culture in general, but I was like, oh, I don't want to be a financial advisor. Financial advisors are greedy. So I think there's also like this misconception about like the industry as a whole. And like, I don't know who's spreading that rumor around, but, but I also think that part of it has to do with, and this is where like, I'm kind of passionate about of how, as an industry, as an industry, we do business where like I've talked to, I mean, I'm in these very high-end masterminds and they'll say, oh yeah, you you get into a networking event, there's a financial advisor and they're like, watch out, he's going to pounce, you know? And it's like this, this way of like very, very much like a little bit of the pursuit of happiness, like very much, you know, persistent sales, like that sort of thing. And I don't think that's how it is in many areas, but I do think there is a, an aspect of that within the industry of like, you know, the more persistent you are, like, I know a lot of the women who come to me, they're like, I'm supposed to do these numbers. I was just talking to one of them, one of the companies that I won't mention, but she was saying like, you know, here's the activity that I have to do. And I showed them, you know, she just came to my event and she's in my program. Like, here's a new way to do it with a lot less effort. That's going to get you a better result to be very specific about your ideal client, how to attract them, you know? And she's like, yeah, but they won't let me because I'm not allowed to say that on LinkedIn. And then they have to, I have to have X amount of numbers. And if I don't meet with this many, do this many meetings, I'm like, well, what if you skip the same or better revenue, but you don't do all that activity. And I said, can you just 
not be fussed if they get mad at you and just like, you know, let them be pissed, but like go make more money. And I think that's really hard for women, you know, like, cause it's like, Oh, I don't want to disappoint. Or I think I have to do something or I get shunned or shamed for doing that stuff. And I'm not saying it's just that. I just think it's like you said, Jamie, it's like so many of these different things. Like how do we shift that when there it's like, it's infiltrated in, in our upbringing as children, because I know, like, I know the, the, I've heard about the, you're much better at stats, but I've, I've heard about the, statistics with, you know, boys versus girls and even the down to the toys that, that we typically give them. But I also know, you know, my son, who's five, my daughter, who's three, my son wants trucks. He wants things that like to build. My daughter wants dolls, like not because we put it in her face. Like we were very conscious about that, but like, because she wants dolls, she wants babies. So I don't know, like, what do you, what do you think is like the, there are the stepping stones to make this shift? Because it feels like sometimes I like get you, your doomsday. And I'm like, I don't watch the news because I get so like, there's no way we can ever turn this around. Like I'm the one that's like, uh, I guess I'm just going to give up now. I don't give up, but I, I'm like, yeah. sometimes get very, I guess, I don't know, just sheepish about all this. Cause like, what do you do? Well, they, here's the positive side of it. I'll, I'll shift, you know, Dr. Dr. Doom still wants to like rule the world or something. So, you know, the, he's got ambition. Bring him back. <laughs> uh, but look, I don't think that there's ever been a better time to enter into this profession. I mean, that's the flip side is, look, we don't have enough advisors. They're aging. Technology's getting better. The barriers to entry are going down, right? And the number of people who need advice or looking for advice are at an all-time high. And the number of wealth, you know, uh, the, the amount of wealth out there in the country has never been as high as it's been today. And I'd say, like, the tax rules and planning strategies are the most complicated they've ever been in the history of the country. So you put all that together, the ability to have an impact in this profession has never been greater than it is today. And when you look at those demographics, I mean, wealth's going to continue to rise for the next decade. People are going to get older, and this industry is going to have fewer advisors serving more people every year for the next 30 years. That is actually a great place to be, right? That's not a bad place to be. So for every individual that looks at that, that's a great opportunity. The industry has its own challenges, but for an individual looking at right. professions, for sure. like, it's about as good of a profession as I can possibly say to be in. Like when I look at the legal profession, I feel the complete opposite. Like I actually feel we have too many attorneys now. Mm -hmm. uh, we've oversaturated that market and that's brought compensation down. And I think a lot of the work that attorneys have done over the last 30 years, um, AI and other tools are going to make a lot easier. We won't even need as many attorneys as we have today. And so like that one's kind of going the opposite route, but it like we had this giant influx and kind of student loans helped kind of balloon that one up to a way that's not working out super well right now. Uh, but like, I think on the flip side, I look at this profession and I tell attorneys to go into this profession all the time. Now they're actually really good as, um, you know, mm -hmm. there's, at least back in, so I entered around 2007, right around then, I think was 2000 to 2008 was the first year that there had been more women um, accepted into law school than men right around that time period. And so there's a lot of really great professional women going into the legal field that I think would make for fantastic advisors. It actually pays better, gives you more workplace flexibility, more ability to own your own firm. And you can use those same skills, that analytical mind and client facing aspect in this profession. So there is a group that maybe we can convince to come That's over. That's a great recruiting point. idea. Yeah. Go for <laughs> all the attorneys. Well, I also think like, 
I, I know you mentioned this before we started reco- recording, but when you're talking about the opportunity, I also think as far as women and minorities having a voice in the industry, like they don't have much of a voice. So I think there's such an opportunity for personal branding and for you to step up and, and the world needs it. Like, I think the industry needs it, but the industry might need a, a slap upside the head to get it. But, you know, as far as individuals, when you're out there, like looking for clients, like there, you said it, there's endless opportunities available, but you can't look like everybody else. And I think, you know, when I went into the industry, like I tried to be like they told me to do, you know, I wore the suit, put my hair back and I tried to basically look like I was a dude. Didn't work. I'm glad it didn't work because I wasn't a dude, but it was like, I was trying to play the part, you know, like, and I, and that's not my personality, you know, and, and like I'm talking, like, like I said about going and speaking and, and I want to stand out. I want it to be different. I, I want them to see something that is yeah, even unusual, like just that, just enough to get their attention. So there's something that they can do differently and, and to really make a bigger change. And I think most of the women, and I think a lot of the men too, of course, like get into the industry because they want to create change. They want to help people. They want to make a difference. It's all about impact. And if they're not standing out and don't maintain who they are and their voice, then it starts to get lost. So, um, to me, that's like one of the biggest things, like as an individual, like you said, I think it's hard to like you know, move everything at once. There's so many things, but like, we can all do our part to, to like, what, what, what did, uh, Malahi, is that, is that Malala, what's her, Malala, is that her name? And she's like, if we, if I have one person, like sometimes it's just, uh, don't ask me for political references. I shouldn't have ever said that, but, oh, it's like, if I help one person, like it's one at a time that's like to change the world. So that's kind of like what helps me stay out, stay out of depression. Um, because sometimes I just feel like it's, it's hopeless, but for, for sure, there's there's so much opportunity. There's always opportunity. And um, it's just, you know, seize the day kind of thing. Um, well, with all that, that, you know, nonsense, um, what else What else you guys got to add before we tell them how to find you? Anna, you want to take the lead here? Anything else to add? Or you can just yeah. tell them where to find you if you prefer. Sure. I uh, know. I love what you said there about like moving through the world kind of as yourself. And, I, and going back to what's changed in the industry, I think of, we're seeing a lot more of that. And it's really refreshing. Um, and, you know, as a, as a woman of color, I was always taught like kind of just assimilate, just like kind of fit in, don't make too much noise. But, but now it's like, hey, I get to be myself. I get to have my voice. And I love that and for you and for other women in the industry and for other, you know, underrepresented professionals, like that, that being able to, to have our voice and move through this, this profession as ourselves is really um, a good trend, I think. Um, and you could find me, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn and Twitter. I'm at Anna T underscore edits. Um, and that's, you know, you can find us at carsoncoaching.com. We have a lot of really great resources. We just launched a wonderful newsletter on LinkedIn that kind of, you know, encapsulates everything we do for the month and, and gives you a glimpse into what, what we've got going on. Awesome. Awesome. And then podcast framework podcast. How could I forget the framework? podcast? Well, we already told them, but we'll tell them again. Don't forget to go on there. And then after this, I'm going to make sure that they hook me up and get me on that podcast. So if they don't, you write in and tell them now, um, then I'll, I'll use my influence, um, but check it out. Framework podcast. And then Jamie, you want to give your information as well? Yeah, just uh, super easy. I'm I'm on the Twitter, Instagram at at retirement risks with an S. I'm on LinkedIn too. So Jamie Hopkins uh, shows up there, and yeah, CarsonGroup.com kind of leads you anywhere else uh, that you might want to find out anything about what we do at Carson. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. That was a fun conversation. All right, we'll see you guys next time on Growing Your Financial Business the Woman's Way. Bye. Thank you, Robin. Thank you. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.